Welcome, everyone. I'm your host, J.W. Buck. In this podcast, The Cultural Christ, we will explore the intersection between the Christian faith and cultural identity. We hold interviews with followers of Jesus to discuss the way our faith impacts our culture and how our culture impacts faith. Now for part two of this interview. What is it like being in a typical church, a typical white church for you compared to being in a a church, uh, maybe in Kampala back in the day or when you go home and visit, where there are local cultural expressions of your people and who you are. Talk about dust coming up or dancing, uh, the type of sermons. Do you feel it at any type of being at home when you're in an evangelical white church? What about it is challenging? What about it? is helpful. Um, is that a part of the shock that you said you experienced? Cause there's kind of the Bible college experience is also like being in church spaces where we're just sure. expected to connect with God and connect with people regardless of the culture. Yeah. What has that been like for you? So for starters, the church that I go to right now is a multi-ethnic, like intergenerational church, literally a hard church for me. Like this, it feels so much like a place that you know, makes sense for my person and what I love and care about. I have visited all kinds of churches just by virtue of being a preacher's kid. My dad used to travel a lot um, and we would travel with him in the States and he would go to different churches. And then just being a freshman in college, you're like trying to look for a church. And so you explore different places. And so when I think of particularly white evangelical churches, There's part of it is cultural. Like I know that a lot of yeah, white evangelical spaces tend to be more somber and more quiet. And I think that's beautiful in its own way. But I am, you know, yelling. I'm trying to talk back to the preacher as well, which is just very black, whether that's African-American, black American or African. So, yes, it was a shock just thinking of how vastly different and honestly, and I don't even say this dismissively, but to each his own, because I think, yeah, and that's something I've had to, a lesson I've had to grow into that all are beautiful and we all are seeking God together. And the beauty of God is that he can make sense and will make sense in our different particularities and our different cultural contexts. And together when we discuss what we see him as, yeah. We get to see him for who he truly is. But yeah, there's, you know, I, I went to an Anglican church in the city and I said, this is beautiful. This is great. But maybe once <laughs> every six months for me, you know, like I was like, I love you all, but I'll see you in six months. Yeah. So, yeah. And so much of the challenge is when the way that one people group does church gets imposed on, on mm-hmm. others, a, a story that I'll share in a conservative white church in the Midwest, we were visiting. And like you said, like very controlled, very quiet, a lot of four part harmony and sticking to the message. And it's all about like a very Western style of order, starting on time, ending on time. So all these Western values are coming out. And somebody sat down with my wife who's Indo-Guyanese and said, you know what? The highest form of godliness I've learned is when we're quiet and we're still. And she came home and she was 
actually really upset and furious that someone is like telling her that because this woman in this church is taking a cultural value, which is being quiet and still and saying, this is somehow the highest form of, of godliness. And then picking and choosing passages in the Bible to reinforce that yeah. Western value where it's like, wait a second, David was dancing and like Jesus was flipping tables and like, we can go to a bunch of other places where acting out emotionally and, and crying out to God in a certain way and dancing and all the instruments like that God said, use all these when you worship me in the Old Testament, you know, why isn't that normative compared to these other things? And so it's a huge challenge for the church in general, but for the Western church and specific white churches to not like impose that on others yeah. without even like that lady thinks she's just reading the Bible, but she's not just reading the Bible. <laughs> she's like imposing her culture. And why did she feel like she had to say that to Diane of all people, like one of the only brown people in the church, it's kind of like a confusing thing. And so, um, and I just want to say Marvel, like, what you just said is such an advanced way <laughs> of talking about the church. Like I hear this very global, globally minded Christian that you are as you're talking about entering these different spaces, like for you to know, yeah, I can go to this white Anglican church, but I can really only take it once every six months because this isn't going to do it for me connecting to God. That's a very mm -hmm. advanced like way to think about it that you're even honoring that um, I think is, is really powerful. Let's talk a little bit about Jesus. Okay. And I'm going to ask a specific question. I've asked a few other people thus far, um, as I'm getting this podcast off the ground, what was your imaginary of Jesus growing up? What color skin was he African? Was he white? When you imagined Jesus growing up, transitioning from the States back to Uganda and Kampala in the city, what was your imagination of Jesus and why? Was it paintings? Did someone say something? Was it, help me understand how you view Jesus. That just makes me, I don't think mad is the word, but almost saddened to think that, to, what, with what I'm about to say, it just saddens me to think that that's what I thought for so long. Um, pictured him as white, blue eyes, but also I don't think, I ever hyper-focused on the image of Christ. He was always vague, but if someone made me, you know, if I had, if someone put me on gunpoint and said, describe this man, he wasn't brown. And it's only after coming to Bible school and exploring certain themes like, you know, the color of Christ, basically, basically, or even the culture of Christ that I realized, oh, that's what I thought. And that's actually so problematic. And so now I'm like really passionate about reculturing Christ, not even for the sake of um, putting one culture on a pedestal. I'm very cautious of that, which you did hint on earlier in your compliment, which I appreciate. And I do want to say I did not wake up like this. Like it has taken me being, you know, me being really angry and then being very reactionary and now finally having my head on my shoulders to think, okay, we need some sort of balance. We can't, we can't do the very same thing that was done to us. Like we can't also impose, you know, our color or culture or imagination of God. There has to be dialogue. Mm. Um, but anyway, to your question, yeah, he wasn't brown. He wasn't even Jewish, which is, I'm like, literally what Bible were we reading? Oh, but you asked something. You asked what informed that imagination. 
100% media. Every, you know, movie, every Jesus movie I watched, every Jesus Bible I had, every, or Bible, you know, with like images, everything I was presented just had a very whitewashed Christ. And so that subconsciously became what I began to believe about what he looked like. Yeah. And what changed for you? You talked about being a Bible college. Was it just kind of like diving into the text of scripture and the cultural backgrounds? And, and then what did that do for you, if anything, like that revelation that, okay, Jesus isn't white. Ironically enough, it wasn't diving into scripture, which has not, this is not saying scripture, that's no fault of scriptures. Um, I still think there was a lens, like there was a veil still, you know, it was definitely conversation. I'll actually throw out some names, Jan and Andrea. I have to credit them for being a part of this journey for me. We were all on the journey together and we ended up writing a piece called Jesus was a missionary, a spoken word piece where we wanted to highlight the brownness of Christ. I think in dialogue with them, I began to realize, oh, wait a second, Christ was brown. And the implications of that are A, B, C. And so when you ask about what that meant for me in, you know, studying the history of America, studying the history of my African peoples and colonization and all the things, like there's obviously a lot of pain in the experience of people of color. And so the question I was asking is, God, where are you in this? Where were you in this? And so for his answer to be, oh, I was there, I was brown, that in and of itself was like very comforting. Mm. And I have wrestled with, but what does that mean then for people who are not brown? And, you know, those are questions that I'm still asking. And I don't think it means they're excluded by any means. I think God is, is good and purposeful in all that he does. And for people listening, honestly, when I critique whiteness of Christ, I'm not coming for white people or, you know, I'm not coming, I'm not coming for white culture. I'm coming for the detriment that whitewashing Christ caused, because then, I mean, we can even talk about uh, early missions and how yeah. in presenting a white Christ, they were not only presenting that, but also Westernization, which is what you were hinting on, Josh, of like imposing culture as well, which is really imperialism. And, you know, I even think about how in Uganda, having a Christian name is your English name. You know, that in and of itself is telling, like, why can't my Christian name be Nimurunji, which means God is good. Um, That's my last name. So it is my name. But, you know. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks for talking about the implications a little bit of whitewashing Jesus. And it isn't just the media portrayal, as you talked about that informing your imagination, but the implications of it and what it means and what it does in environments around people. And it centers the Western experience. It centers Western culture. It centers uh, one, one advantage of God, one way to look at God, which uh, although valid when you impose that on a bunch of other people, that's not a good right. thing. Like we don't see that happening in, in the New Testament. We don't see Jesus doing that, Paul doing that as the church expands. It's, it was a very cross-cultural way. So no, I, that's, that's really good. Um, how has Jesus informed your cultural identity or dignified it? Like as you are processing that Jesus is non-white, is this ancient Palestinian Jewish man that does not have white skin, also is not 
African in that sense, but does come from an experience of suffering, being a minority under the poverty line, all these things. How is Jesus informing the journey that you're articulating, the journey that you're on related to your cultural identity? Yeah, well, that's really loaded. And so is the answer, because I think I'm still finding the answer. But for starters, it's such an apologetic. It's such an apologetic, makes Christ all the more beautiful. I mean, it's sweet enough that he weeps with me, but to think that he relates and resonates with the marginalized and the oppressed, is it just makes God beautiful. It's like, yeah, I'm going to get behind a God like that. Um, I'm on your team, sign me up. Uh, but for me, I think I'm just experiencing, it's almost like him stamping dignity on where I'm from, dignity on my culture, and saying, yes, you are allowed to embrace this because I've made it beautiful. And then I turn a few pages to Revelations and it's affirmed, you know, because he's mm. like every tribe, every tongue, <laughs> y'all will all be up in there, you know. So I think now it's just like something that I that brings me to worship, that brings me to confidence in wanting to tell people about him, especially people who really see Christianity as a white man's religion and an imperialistic, colonial um, framework and paradigm. And yeah, I just think now I used to have high arguments in high school all the time with this, um, with these history boys, like they loved history and loved like, you know, the history of Africa. And they'd sit with me and be like, you like Jesus, right? And I'm like, oh, of course I love him with all of me. And they're like, how do you answer this, 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 what do you have to say about how they dis- you know, disrespected and disregarded our African traditional religions? Like, what do you have to say about that? Yeah. And back, I was super defensive because I was, you know, it was I was fragile about it because I hadn't asked these questions myself. And I felt like I had to defend and protect Christ and my faith. But then I came here and I was like, he was literally right in asking those questions. And not God, I'm asking you these questions also. Yeah. And so yeah, looking to Christ and his particularities and his life is how I find the answer. So for one, I have an answer for that boy from high school. <laughs> I see him again, I'll be like, ah, guess what, bro? The transitioning to church, uh, what does it look like for you to be you and feel comfortable and affirmed culturally in a faith community? And you've talked about your intersections of like being Ugandan, being American, and and so what does it look like for you? And maybe you already answered it in saying you're a part of like a multicultural church right now. And, and that is what really affirms who you are. But talk about being able to be you in a faith community. Two sides to that question. One is how I exist in the community, but the other side is how that community receives me. It's good. And those questions or those things vary depending on where I'm at, you know, like in my multi-ethnic church, I'm going to be celebrated in a predominantly white space that particularly, and I want to be clear, particularly one that doesn't see the importance of celebrating and or embracing culture. And in fact, deems it as you're focusing on the wrong thing, you're idolizing it. And I could go on and on. That's going to be different. Like my existence in that space is going to be different. 
So now that I've said that, I will answer about me. Because for me, there's also like a personality piece. Like, I don't care. I'm going to, you know, be unapologetically myself. That's good. Um, but, and, and again, in some spaces, I, you know, I put on my teacher hat and I'm ready to educate people. I'm ready to call things out. In some spaces, I just get to exist without having to explain myself, without having to defend myself. Um, at home, I'm the one learning, you know, I'm the one who feels more westernized because I'm like, I can't even speak this language. I'm asking my dad what that means, you know? Yeah. So it, it definitely depends, like I said, on where I'm at and how I'm being received. Yeah. 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 That makes total sense. And I love how you described that interchange of you being in that space, but also being received or not received. And I think that's important for, um, Christians, particularly church leaders, to be asking themselves, okay, what is our view of culture? What's our theology of culture? How does Jesus inform this discussion? Uh, mm -hmm. And are we welcoming or not? Do we want to be welcoming or not? What, what is the unspoken culture of these people, even outside of the Bible? And then how do we view that? So I, I love those questions that are really relevant. Okay, as we're ending, I got a few hopefully fun questions. Uh, well, the first one is what's your favorite food, favorite dish that your family makes? Tell us about it. What is it and why is it your favorite? And then the second question is like, what's one really awkward or funny situation that you experienced having come back to the States where you're like, what is going on here? It could be how somebody came at you. It could be food related. It could be something to do with a Western value could be church, could be not. But what was one thing that like, you're like, Oh, I am not in Uganda right now. This is, this is a difference. And it just, it hit you. So let's start with home and, and food. Okay. Yeah. For everyone listening, I would encourage you to pull up your phone right now and type the word Rolex Ugandan street food into your phone. Doing it. So my family does not actually make this. We could, if we wanted to, but nothing beats, the one that you buy on the roadside. So particularly a roadside Rolex has my heart. I think I think about Rolexes once a week. Um, but it's basically a chapati and then a fried egg on top of it. And you roll it up. So actually the word Rolex is derivative of rolled eggs, which is basically, you know, like I said, a fried egg in a chapati rolled. Um, and so it just became the word transition into Rolex, which is funny because it's also a watch and people are like, what? But um, I love Rolexes, man. I love every time I go home, a Rolex is on my, I mean, it's literally on the way home, like the hill up to so my good. house. There's a Rolex guy and I know his name and we're homies. So I love that. But I also do want to give a shout out to Matoke. Matoke is, you can also Google that one, is plantain. And so what will happen, and let me just say this, guys, cooking in an African Ugandan household is an event. It is a day's effort, which probably factors into why I personally don't like cooking, which is so, <laughs> I guess, anti-Ugandan movement, but working on that. We're not working on trying to cook, we're working on trying to change people's expectations. But anyway, that's besides the point. Um, matoke and groundnut sauce, which we call Gino's. So I love matoke and Gino's. Um, it's the best thing ever. Um, have you been able yeah. to find any of those dishes or Ugandan food in Chicago at all? 
You know, honestly, just for how diverse Chicago is, I have not, and it saddens me. I found things that are like it, like Somalian restaurants that have, you know, kind of that East African feel of rice and beans, because we do love that. Um, But no, I haven't found uh, those things I've tried. I mean, Indian naan is close to chapatis, but it's still not the same, and certainly not the same as the guy by my house, you know. So... Yeah, but that would be that. Um, and then to the second question, man, there's so many things. Like, <laughs> obviously, when it starts snowing, I'm like, yeah, no, get me out of here. Because I, like I said earlier, I'm in Chicago, snow yeah, hub. Totally. Um, love the weather, you know, personally. But a story that comes to mind. So I grew up going, you know, to Christian camps and all the Christian things because I was a classic PK like there's PKs and then there's PKs that also love God, like their dad. That's you. Like that was me, still is, I guess. But when I came to the States, the very first year that I came back, 2019, I was able to go to a camp, a youth camp. Uh, it's Young Life, actually, for those who might know. So I'm at Young Life and it's summertime. It's like June. Yeah. It makes total sense that people would be wearing shorts. But everyone was in shorts. And I remember thinking, this was a shock on both a cultural, but also a Christian level. Because in my mind, and again, and th- again, like to keep this conversation balanced, there's always going to be an overlap between your culture and your faith. Yeah. Like those two end up, because usually those are the two things that are most important to people. And even if not important, you can't escape culture. We are a part of, you know, culture and lifestyle. Anyway. So that was obviously what was happening within me. But I remember seeing all these teenage girls and guys in short shorts. And I was like, this is God forsaken. <laughs> there, there's no way this is a Christian camp. Get behind me, Satan. In jeans, dying of heat, you know? Yeah. And I just remember thinking, what have I come to? Or not even what have I come to, but what is this place? Um, but it didn't take me too long to change my mind. Literally the day after that, I called someone, my host mom at the time. And I said, can you please buy me shorts? <laughs> and she did. Um, so that's kind of a funny thing because yeah, back home, like you just don't show your skin like that. Not the way that these girls and guys had. Um, so that was something that was really funny. Yeah. I know. Thanks for, for sharing that. And it, it's helpful too, cause you're talking about the culture values of what modesty is or isn't. It varies mm-hmm. widely based on culture, and that's important for us to understand as we read Bible verses about modesty and whatever it is. So, Marvel, thank you so much for being on. Where can we find that spoken word? Let us know. Oh, yeah, I get to be my own shameless plug, period. <laughs> Thanks for asking that. So, my Instagram is Nimurunji Marvel, and yeah, it's one of the posts there. Okay. And what's the title one last time? Jesus was a missionary. Jesus was a missionary. Yeah. I don't think the post has the title there, but yeah, if you look through, you'd be able to find it easy. Well, anybody listening, I'd encourage you to follow Marvel and check out that spoken word. Thanks so much for being on Marvel. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Thank you so much for listening. If you want more content, you can go to jwbuck.org or follow me on Instagram, handles jwbuck. If you have any questions about culture, cultural identity, or faith, feel free to send me a message. Hope you'll join us next week.